Welcome back. I'm Brett Harris. This is God Knows Where. We're exploring the topics we talk about a lot, but that Jesus never did. Or at least not the way we've been taught that he did. Today we'll turn our attention to connecting with, not just giving to, our neighbors. And I should have said this in an earlier episode, but there are basically four ways to respond to Jesus' call to follow him. To give, to connect, to love, and to release. And the distinctions between those responses are small, like a Venn diagram with lots of overlap, but they feel important to explore. So if you hear echoes of previous episodes, great. If you hear something and you wish I would say more about that, don't worry. It's coming. Just keep listening. And along those lines, please keep sharing God Knows Where with others. I'm loving hearing from folks who are listening. I'm humbled by the reviews you've shared. It feels like we're on to something with this way of looking at Jesus' teaching. So keep helping people find God Knows Where. Tag them in the comments of any of our posts. Share the podcast in your stories. Send your friends a link to the show. Whatever works for you. Just know I'll keep trying to unravel Jesus' teachings in a meaningful way for us. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. I hope you all enjoy today's episode, Nine Minutes. When walking into a new situation with any group of people, an organization, a team, a church, my least favorite response to hear is, that's how we've always done it. There are a lot of things that divide groups of people, especially churches, but none more so, in my opinion, than that's how we've always done it. I have no data to back this up, but I would argue that that phrase is at the root of every church split, and it's a contributing factor to the departure of so many from the church today. This phrase keeps us forever looking behind us, looking back fondly at the past, whether it was good or not. And I'm a firm believer that nostalgia is an enemy of hope. The only place that I know this phrase is positively used is in a kitchen. If you've got a recipe down pat and people love it and it turns out just like you want it every single time and they keep asking for seconds whenever you prepare it for them, then by all means, please keep doing it the way you've always done it. But the way we've always done it is a fine response only if what we're doing is working well, if it's meeting the needs of our community, if it's producing positive results in people's lives. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, sure. But as Dallas Willard reminds us in The Divine Conspiracy, we can't forget that our systems are designed perfectly for the results we are achieving. Whatever we're doing, it's working perfectly to give us what we're getting. So do we like what we're getting at church, at home, at work? If we're not, how do we change? One response is to look forward instead of looking backwards. On a drive to New Orleans a couple years ago, Elizabeth asked me, where do we want to be in 15 years? And it seemed like an innocent enough question came from a meeting she'd been at earlier in the day, but I immediately started doing lots of math in my head, which is never a good idea. And I figured out the ages of all the people in my life whom I love. And I realized that in that span of time, we were likely to experience some of life's greatest highs and also some of its lowest lows. And thinking about those lows wasn't even the worst part. The worst part 
was that as I was doing this math, my foot was slowly easing off the gas pedal on I-59 on a Friday afternoon. In seconds, our car went from traveling well above the speed limit to traveling well below it as I panicked. It could have been really bad. One more math problem could have left us parked in the middle of a busy interstate. All because I was too wrapped up in the future to pay attention to the present moment. And that's the only place that Jesus calls us to focus our attention. Here and now. Too often, though, the church operates at these two poles of past and future. We're either wearing nostalgia-colored glasses that make the past seem superior to the present, or we're frantically trying to avoid a bleak future or build a better one. The church is like this weird mashup of Pleasantville and Back to the Future and Memento. And I'd argue it's performing as successfully right now as that mashup would be at the box office. Which is to say, not very good. Although, if any movie makers are listening to this podcast and think that that mashup would be a hit, I call dibs. You can find me on Instagram. But by just about every measurable statistic, Christianity as we know it has been sputtering for decades. Participation continues to wane. Its relevance to people's lives is down. The witness of the church continues to be harmed by its increasing alignment across the aisles with our political ideals instead of the good news. And this will continue, I think, until we can shift our focus, like Jesus teaches us, to today. To this moment. Jesus never says, this is how we've always done it. Half a dozen times he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He reframes our traditions for today. He doesn't ask us, where will we be in 15 years? He says, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus knows right now is the only time we have any influence or capacity to change the world. He makes that no clearer than in this story that Luke tells about some folks telling Jesus that they'll follow him. He tells them to join him, but they say they've got something they need to do first before they can come and join him. One needs to bury his father, and the other wants to say goodbye to his family. It doesn't seem like an unreasonable request. But Jesus says to them, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. Dang, Jesus, take it easy on them. They said they'd follow you. But Jesus knows this business of following him isn't easy. Any of us who've tried to follow Jesus know that it isn't easy. It's work. It's work that requires focus. It's work that requires presence here in this moment. Hand plowing, likewise, requires a lot of focus, unless, of course, you want curvy, wandering rows that are hard to manage. We've got to focus on where we are, not where we've been, to get to where we want to be. And that calls us to connect and to be present in only one place, this moment. We might not hand plow anything. Chances are, Most, if not all of us listening to this podcast, have never hand-plowed anything. So let's think about it this way. There's no better feeling than being with someone who makes you feel like the only person in the room. 
They could have a to-do list a mile long or 15 people waiting for their attention, or they could hold more power and influence than we can imagine. But when they're with us, they're with us. We feel seen by them. We feel like we matter to them. They care enough about us to pay attention to us. And those people will remember their presence forever. Chances are, though, more often than feeling that way, we've been sitting in a restaurant or standing with someone at a cocktail party, and when they aren't speaking, they're looking over our shoulder or around the room to see who else is around. We can tell that that person would rather be somewhere else. They'd rather be anywhere else than with us. It feels awful, and we'll think twice about what we share with them or how much time we spend with them in the future. For too many people, that's where the church is today. We're looking off into the distance, longing for something better, old or new. It doesn't matter. We're too worried about where we've been or where we want to be to notice what and who is right in front of us. Just hoping to be seen, hoping to matter to someone, to be worthy of someone's attention. And if they aren't worthy of our attention, our consideration, our presence, then why should we be worthy of theirs? It's not just the church, though. I've seen this with my own kids in my own home. I'd come home from a long day at the church, and they'd want my full attention. But my mind was on all the work I'd left behind, all the anxieties I'd had during the day, or all the work that I'd brought home with me and the worries that I had about tomorrow. It took a toll. It took a toll on me. It took a toll on them. But one of the blessings amongst all the curses of the COVID pandemic was how much more I was able to be present with them and how much better we all were for it. Because where else was there for us to be? I kick myself regularly for needing a global pandemic to remind me what Jesus teaches us about the importance of presence the importance of being here in the moment. But in the absence of a pandemic, in our lives that have returned to full speed, what can we do to be present with the people around us? How can we remember to keep our focus here and now, not where we've been or where we'd rather be? I saw a reel posted by John Fogel on his Instagram account, Whole Parent. He cites a study there that shows that there are nine minutes in a day that can help parents or caregivers connect with their children, that can help ground their children, remind them that they are loved and safe, and give them the confidence they need to succeed. Just nine minutes. The first three minutes you're awake in the morning, the first three minutes once they get home from school or daycare, and the last three minutes before they go to bed. The study showed that by prioritizing connecting with our kids, being present with them and free from all other distractions at those few moments, we remind our kids that they are important, that we're not too busy for them, that they have a place in this world with us. Now, I don't know if this works with spouses or coworkers or friends or pastors or parishioners. There's probably another study that needs to be done to show that. But I'm sure 
thinking about this kind of presence can't hurt. I mean, think about this. If that small amount of presence is good for our kids, if that small amount of time is enough to help them be grounded and remember that they matter and to connect with us and remember that they're safe with us and that they can be whoever they need to be and want to be with us, if that short amount of time is good for them in those ways, think about what the same amount of time or maybe even just a little bit more throughout our days could do for us or for the church or for our world. That's why Jesus calls us back to the present moment time and time again. He knew the power of presence and its ability to help us connect with the people around us. There's a lot to distract us. There's a lot demanding our attention. But there's nothing we can do about the past except to commit ourselves to not relive its failures. We can't snap our fingers and all of a sudden be in the brighter future we all hope for unless we do something that moves us in that direction today. And Jesus reminds us of this. The only chance we get to do either starts where we are right now. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It would mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.